let me start with uh, what Vedanta is about. As you all know, it is a philosophical system. This is how we usually see it. But to the Vedantin, to the actual person who is following the path of Vedanta, it is an existential inquiry. It is the natural thing to do. It is asking the fundamental questions about human life. It is not a thought construct. That comes later on. It was codified. Existential inquiry was codified as a philosophy. It's not just a philosophy. When the question comes originally within you, it becomes your natural thinking, natural way of life. So this is what uh, the rishis actually give out. If you read the Upanishadic texts, you will see it's a spontaneous existential inquiry which is coming out of them and they are finding answers to that just by the power of acute thought. So we will try to do something of that here uh, in the next half an hour. The, the point is in Vedanta, you see, because you are using vichar as a tool, thought as a tool, it should be very refined and acute, very concentrated. Otherwise, it will not function as a tool. Because in, in Vedanta, which are in the path of Jnana, we are using thought as the tool to usher us into that state. So uh, let us hope that we will be able to bring our thinking to that level. That is the purpose of all these discussions. You know, in the Uttarakhand, there is a famous saying that one bout of Vedanta vichar will not go waste because uh, it will convince your intellect of the reality of uh, existential awareness. And hence, the vichar on this subject can never be a waste. It's not just about thinking or cogitation or anything like that. It's a direct penetration into the heart of reality. Vichar is to be made like that. So, Vedanta basically has three principles, which I will just state. If I, to put it in a nutshell, there are very, very many things, but to put it in a nutshell, let's say Vedanta is, first of all, it speaks of the divinity of the human soul, the divinity of man. It speaks of the unity of all existence, and it speaks of the truth of superimposition. That is why we are seeing the unity as this manifold universe. Somewhere superimposition has happened. So these three, briefly, we will discuss what it means with examples. And then we, you will see that Vedanta is actually existential inquiry, leading to existential awareness. It is not even a thought construct. Later on, it was made like that. But essentially, it is asking the fundamental questions about life. You see, when we say, who am I? What is the picture that comes to our mind, usually? It's the body. Now, if I, if I click this congregation and show you the group photo. You are going to look at uh, where you are sitting. You are going to point out to your picture, any one of you, I'm sure. And um, you are, what is exactly happening at that moment? Please see this. You have tracked yourself in that group picture and you are seeing yourself. Who is seeing what? Your mind is seeing your body. And your intellect is acknowledging your mind seeing your body. And the whole thing is happening in your awareness. In your awareness, your intellect is seeing your mind seeing your body. So then, who are you? What is more you? Is it the body? Is it the mind? Is it the intellect? Is it the awareness? Fundamental thing about you is awareness. If I put it like this, uh, questions will pop up. But it's in your own experience. You see, you require concentration to think. You require effort to perceive the world of sensations. Just to be self-aware. Do you need anything? You are always aware. In that awareness, you are thinking and perceiving. This is the fundamental thing that Vedanta is trying to point out. Not make a study of it. Not conceptual thinking. This is the fact of your own experience. You know, we, traditionally, we study Vedanta. Uh, it is called a phenomenological inquiry in today's philosophy. What it means is, how does anything feel to you? How do you perceive this world? How do you perceive yourself? What is your uh, first-person experience of anything? That is phenomenological experience. So then how do I exactly perceive myself? You see, you are 
barely conscious of your body. Think and see. These are all not, uh, these are Vedantic statements actually, not just thinking. You are barely conscious of your body at any given moment of time. Unless you are made conscious of it, you cannot be conscious of it. You are occasionally identified with your thought process, not all the time. But self-aware, you are always. Awareness is essentially you. The rest is external to you. That is why you see your photograph. You acknowledging, acknowledge it as being your body. You, the awareness, are perceiving the whole process of the intellect acknowledging the mind seeing the body. So this interior view, this understanding from your core standpoint is what Vedanta is giving you, asking you to understand it, that is all. Recognize it and understand it, that is all. If you learn to think in this way, you will clearly see you are always self-aware. And thinking many times, identified with your thought process and rarely conscious of the body. This is your experience of yourself at any given moment of time. So that is why Vedanta tells you Brahma Satyam. The reality about you is Brahman. It is consciousness. It is not body-mind. You are functioning through a body-mind complex. You see how the body is functioning, unless medical science told us, we would not know. Please see this. Unless medical science told you, oh, the liver is secreting bile and uh, the pancreas are doing this particular function and the lungs are doing this particular function, from your standpoint, you wouldn't know. The, does the heart seek your permission to beat? Or the lungs, your permission to function? Everything is automatic. From your standpoint, from the phenomenological standpoint, you are only self-aware. In that awareness, there is a thought process which you are identified with many a time. And so you have your perceptions and sensations and ideations and the world of objectivity. But the reality of the body, you hardly feel. You're not conscious of the body the most of, most of the time. Suppose some great pain is there in the body, then you become conscious of it. It is usually like that. Now, understanding this, that is why consciousness is the primary part of the human personality. This is what Vedanta tells us. Even logically, you can understand. You see, to, in order to perceive anything or acknowledge the existence of anything, you require consciousness. In your awareness, it is that particular thing. But consciousness itself does not require anything to validate its existence. Please see this. You require awareness to validate the existence of anything around you, in you, your thought process, your emotions, everything. But you do not require anything to validate the existence of awareness. That is why existence is absolute, only with respect to the Atman, with respect to awareness or consciousness. That is why it is called absolute existence, Sat. Anything apart from absolute existence must be non-existence, Asat. Can non-existence exist? Now, I'm using a logical format for us to see why the world of manifestation is not of the same order of reality as Brahman. Why is it considered Mithya? Because it is not of the same order. Please see this. Existence absolute belongs to Brahman. Consciousness, it's in your own experience right now. Because you are aware, you are perceiving. Consciousness is required to validate or to testify to the presence of anything else, to the existence of anything else. But you do not require anything to validate the presence of consciousness or awareness. That is why absolute existence belongs to the Atman, belongs to, the, to consciousness. And anything apart from it must be non-existence. But that, does that mean that everything else is non-existing? No. It's an appearance in that existence. This is how it is taken. It appears to exist as that particular thing. But it is actually nothing but, you can say, an extension or of consciousness or a manifestation of that same consciousness. Like, for example, look at this lectern here. These are the common examples used in Vedanta, which in Shankara's literature, you will find them again and again. If I ask you the truth about this lectern here, 
what would you tell me? Is this more a lectern or more wood? If I ask you this question, what would be your answer? More wood? Is this wood or lectern? Lectern. Why? Essentially, it is what? Wood shaped into a lectern, isn't it? Now, you see, the reality here is wood. You cannot have a lectern without wood, but you can have wood without the lectern. So, wood is the reality here. Shaped into a lectern, given a name and a form, and the great utility of this lectern makes it all important to me. But essentially, it is nothing but wood in a particular name and form. Wave is nothing but water in a particular name and form. Your ornaments are nothing but gold in a particular name and form. And you are nothing but consciousness in a particular name and form. This is essentially Vedanta. The fact about you can be only consciousness because that is the unchanging element, unchanging constant factor, you can say. The constant through all the variables of life. Please see this, it's in your own experience. You were that little infant, that little baby, then you became the toddler, you became a teenager, then a young person, now middle-aged or uh, getting on in years. The I is constant through all these experiences. Everything else has changed. Outer circumstances have changed, objects around you have changed, body has changed, mind has changed. But you, you know it's the same I. So a constant running through infinite variables. That is the real you. The unchanging element in you is always consciousness, awareness. And that is of the nature of absolute existence. So that is why the Upanishads tell us the nature of this world is not the same as the nature of this existence. That is why it is mithya. Mithya is a very technical term in Advaita Vedanta. It is difficult to understand. It means to say it has no independent existence apart from consciousness. That is what it means to say. Like, for example, like this table, uh, this lectern. It has no independent existence apart from wood. There is nothing called a lectern apart from wood. Please see this. This is called Karana Drishti. If I see only the lectern as the lectern, as the only reality here, it is called Karya Drishti. If you look at the Karana Drishti, you will see the essential thing is wood here. The, the heart of the lectern is wood. If I bring down this lectern, wood will remain over. Wood in a particular name and form, I'm calling lectern, but I have given it an absolute identity in itself. So also you are only consciousness. <laughs> Impersonating as a body-mind complex, as Mr. So-and-so, Miss, Mrs. So-and-so, and I've given it absolute value. Look at an ordinary life. 50% of the life goes in building an identity. The other 50% in defending it. <laughs> So where is the time to ask, who am I? What is the unchanging reality about me? What remains over after the body falls, after the mind stops functioning? What is essentially I? This is what Vedanta is about. So now we understood two points. One is, we understood that the truth about anything lies in consciousness. And this world of manifestation is name and form superimposed upon that reality. Without bringing in emotion and commotion and too much thinking, see the clarity of their thought process. This is all I want you to observe in this particular talk. If you think very clearly in a yogic state of mind, you will arrive at Vedanta spontaneously. Even if you have not read it, if you have not heard anything about it, you will arrive at it because that's the fact about you. Now, we also, the second point which we studied was this world of manifestation is name and form superimposed on that reality. So now superimposition is a big thing which has occurred to make me see the world as I'm seeing it, not as Brahman. And that's why we keep asking the question, isn't this a little, well, over the head? Isn't this a, too, a philosophy too high for us? Well, we are a simple people... Uh, we mean to say I am, well, my name and form is all important. This is what we mean to say. My identity is all important. Please don't question it. But if you see truly, without any attachments, you will see this is the reality. And superimposition has occurred, which makes me feel that my name and form is something very real. 
that is the essential part of me you know in india they used to change the names of girls when they were married a number of young, young girls came and told me we don't like it you can't change our identity like that so we have invested so much of um, our energy in what we are calling identity that at least we should scrutinize it intensely sometime in our life what are we trying to defend and protect and build up superimposition how does it occur this is also an important thing to understand you see why do i invest so much reality in name and form and function because this is the nature of life i am functioning through this instrumentation so i have to give it reality consciousness is functioning through a body mind complex so body mind complex has become very important essentially it has no independent existence see if i Uh, this is a hard point to digest but once you give enough thought to it it will become very clear that independent existence belongs to nothing but consciousness any object is that object in my awareness and due to my instrumentation please see this this is a lectern to you and me to an ant moving there this is not a lectern please this is a mountain to uh, if, if there was a cockroach here he would see this as a pixelated barrier to my senses it's a lectern to a bird flying there if it saw this lectern it would appear like a speck to a tick this hardly is something to a bat it is something else altogether because of its echolocative apparatus so the point is this given these five senses this is a lectern and in my awareness it's a lectern if i was not if i was given an extra sense this would appear as something else and without my awareness i cannot even call it as wood so essentially it has no independent existence as a lectern it is dependent upon my awareness to be perceived as a lectern so it is mithya this is the rational process the logic of vedanta which tells you why brahma satyam jagat mithya once we understand this see all you have to do is give more thought to this i'm telling you just now you heard of it you must dwell on it for some time for a long time actually for a few months maybe and then this will appear crystal clear and pretty obvious the obvious fact of human life is the truth of consciousness is the truth of brahman but just now mental activity is out of control we have not even thought of this so far and that is why it appears so difficult it appears like a very high five philosophy so the essential thing is the training must happen here the right perception must happen here and i will see everything right on the outside that's the point the point is you must learn to wear those green glasses not paint the world green <laughs> many times uh, people ask this question well the problems of the world are so overwhelming the problems of our personal life so many <laughs> types of problems that we have no time to think like this that's not the point the point is do i really want to know the unchanging i or am i happy with this investiture of that i into the thought process into the world of manifestation if i'm happy with that well continue don't worry about anything if i'm not happy with that if i have existential problems fundamental questions about life which cannot be answered by just on the surface then i need to penetrate into a philosophy like this into vedant and this is the picture it will give me so then three points about uh, vedant we just observed one is the reality of brahman of consciousness that alone is sat because that is chit consciousness alone is sat and the unreality of this world of manifestation based only on name and form the reality there is brahman not that the world is unreal its reality is brahman name and form was a mistake isn't it the reality here is wood merely seeing the lectern was a mistake that's what they are trying to say that's all and superimposition has occurred name and form superimposition has occurred to such an extent that i am not able to see the reality of brahman so i am doing other philosophies i am thinking in other ways and uh, i am uh, colliding against vedant i am doing all this so some level of discipline acute thinking vedanta vichar existential inquiry has to be practiced in order to arrive at this now from the gnani standpoint from the 
man of realization, standpoint of the man of realization, because we are now we are going to come to Thakur, how does he actually perceive? Don't let's not go straight to the world of manifestation, but to his own body also, how will he perceive? You know, the body to him is an abstraction. Just like how we say the Vedanta is an abstraction, he will say the body is an abstraction. How do you actually see the body? You are actually feeling only mentations, perceptions, memories, ideations going on in your head, in your mind. Where is the body? Where is body consciousness? But you, the tendency of the human mind is to give a kind of underlying reality to all this, underlying identity to all this. So I posit a body and equate it with my eye and I say, I am the body. This is no theory. This is what is happening in us. That is why you are not conscious of the body most of the time. So for them, this tendency to find an underlying unity in such perceptions has gone. So they give the body its place. It is actually a temple of, a, of your soul. It is not you. Please see this. Always you are perceiving it like that. You see? Even thought belongs to you. Your affectionate feelings belong to you. Your fears belong to you. They are not you. But awareness cannot be said to belong to you. You are self-aware, so there is the thought process. Essential thing about you is always awareness. Even thought can be objectified perfectly and studied objectively. And then you will see that the entire thing is an objective process. Other than the self, consciousness, everything is objective to you. I can give you a few clues here. Right now you can think and see the truth of what they are trying to say. See, tell me, are you aware of your body or is the body aware of you? Answer me. This is an interactive session, Maharaj announced. Do you become aware of the body or does the body become aware of you? When you get up first, first thing in the morning, do you become aware of the body or the body becomes aware of you? You become aware of the body. Why doesn't the body become aware of you? Because awareness belongs to the subject. Please see this, it's in your own experience. You become aware of the body and through that, aware of the objective world. Body does not become aware of you. The same unchanging I is always there. Everything is external to it. You pass through three states of experience every day. Another clue I am giving you. Three states you pass through. Waking, dream and deep sleep. Right? Now, well, well, let me put it very briefly. Waking state is when your senses are fully active, mind is fully active. Right? And you are perceiving the world around you. Dream state is when the senses are closed. Please see this. Mind is active. Especially the subconscious mind. It is cooking up a reality for you. And in your dream, you absolutely believe it. You know you were dreaming only when you get up. In the state of dream, it is absolute reality for you. It is waking. So, this is your condition in the dream state. You cook up a reality, you build up a reality and believe in it absolutely. You see, it is emerging from your own consciousness and you believe it absolutely. Then, you pass into the deep sleep state every night. So there, senses are closed, mind also is closed. Yet you, you can know something. What do you know? What do you experience in that state? You don't experience the objective world. You don't experience sensations. But you know that you did not know anything. Now, how, unless you were there, how will you know that you did not know? How do you say that I did not perceive anything unless you were there? Subliminal consciousness persists always. You, you had two experiences in that state. One is Sukha Maham Apswapsam Nathinchit Maya Vedesham. This is how the Upanishad puts it, which means you say, I slept very happily like a log and I did not know anything. So you must have been present to testify to this, isn't it? So you were very much present. So is it absence of experience or experience of absence? Tell me, deep sleep. If you were present, it is experience of absence. 
So you were present through all the three states and not as the waker, dreamer or deep sleeper. There is an I in you which is completely separate from all these. You can track this by the power of meditation or Vedanta Vichar. Logically, so many clues are there in your everyday experience. This is the, the last one which I told you. It is called the Mahatarka, the great logic of the Mandukya Upanishad. Why is it the great logic? Every day it is happening to you. But you have not studied it in this wise. As soon as you get up in the morning, you identify with a body and assume you are only that and jump into the world of objects and identify with them and the mentation starts only along these lines. So then Vedanta appears to be something oh, very hi-fi philosophy. Nothing like that. It's the reality about you. Existential inquiry directly leads to existential awareness. You were the witness of the waker. You saw the waking world and you interpreted it and you studied it. You created the dream and interpreted it for yourself and believed in it. And you were the deep sleeper also. The, the I, you can say, it's not that the three states passed over you, but the three states passed over you in a way. Not that the, you were identified as something particular. Please see this. So the point is this. You are always there. Everything else passes over you as it were. You are the witness of your thought. You are the witness of the absence of thought. You can go into this state at any time. You are there watching the lack of thought in your mind. You know when you go in, uh, into a very beautiful... Just now we were in Ocean Grove uh, two days back. And there, we, when we sat looking at the sunset or the sunrise, uh, the thought process comes to a standstill naturally. So even when there is no thought in the mind, you are there. Awareness is there. You are the witness of the presence of thought. You are always the witness of the absence of thought. You are the witness of every mentation. You are the witness of every perception. You are the witness of your identifications. You are the witness of the commotion in your mind. You are the absence of... Uh, you are the witness of the Vedanta which are we are doing also. You as Brahman always exist. That's why Brahman is always there. The point is to recognize, to see it. By making Vedanta which are part and parcel of our life. Not by considering it to be a theory. Occasionally I will study it. Like Sunday class I will come to the uh, Vedanta Center of Washington and study it. Not like that. It is part and parcel. Every day it should hit me. Vedanta is something which will actually hit you if the mind is very clear. So Vedanta naturally ushers you into the state of existential awareness. Knowing this, let us see how we have examples of this in Thakur's life. See, Sri Ramakrishna, there are three photos of Sri Ramakrishna. All three photos have him in Samadhi. That was his perpetual state of mind. Please see this. How will you know a man unless you know his state of mind? Or rather, how will you know God unless you know his state of mind? Essential thing is to know what state that mind is in. It was perpetually in the state of Samadhi. And you know, that is why he saw only Brahman. He saw this world of manifestation as Shakti, an, an emanation from Brahman. Essentially, Brahman itself, Brahman himself. You know, there is this very beautiful incident in Thakur's life when he is just coming out of Samadhi. Let me tell you that incident here. Once M goes to uh, Sri Ramakrishna's room and uh, Sri Ramakrishna is sitting on the la larger cot. Many of you, I think, have been there. So you can imagine the scene. Thakur is sitting there in Samadhi a picture of purity and holiness radiating bliss the whole face is lit up he is as it were exuding light in all directions and uh, the bliss coming out of his face and a few tears also coming out from his eyes and uh, M is simply stunned to see him he quietly comes and sits at Thakur's feet and he is watching Thakur after a long time in that state Thakur comes out of Samadhi he comes out and then he opens his eyes. He becomes conscious of his surroundings. 
and he looks into M's eyes and he says, Janu, I Do you know what I am seeing? I see that it is Brahman alone that has become all this. He has become all this. This room is Brahman. This is Brahman. M sitting before him. This temple is Brahman. These leaves and plants and uh, the Ganga, everything is Brahman alone, manifesting as multiplicity, as duality everywhere. But it is the same substance. Then he gives the example of that wax garden. You know, it's there in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. He says, Jamun momer pata momer fool. If you make everything out of the same substance, suppose you make a model of wax, uh, you, you make a garden and you make trees and fruits and leaves, everything of the same substance, wax. You have modeled everything out of wax. That is how Thakur is perceiving this world. He says, I see everything made up of that same wax. What is the wax there? Consciousness, Brahman, pure divine consciousness. Everything is made up of the, that same substance. It is appearing as a leaf, as a fruit, as a man, as a woman, as the temple. But same thing, essentially the same thing. You see, the unitary vision which Vedanta is speaking of is coming out every day in Thakur's life. You read the gospel acutely. You must read it with meditation. Not lying on your bed and not like that. Read it in, after your hours of meditation. You will see it is the Brahma Drishti that Thakur is seeing. Everything is the same substance manifesting in different forms and names. This is the common perception of all saints, no matter what path they follow. Whether you follow the path of Bhakti or Jnana or Rajyog, Karma Yog, anything, you will come to the same point. Mahapurush Maharaj's life, such a beautiful example is there. Mahapurush Maharaj... Uh, was sitting in in Belurmat. You know, he was a president, the president of the order after Raja Maharaj. And uh, people were filing in in a line to do offer their pranams to him. And Mahapurush Maharaj was in a in a very deep, uh, elevated state. Uh, even his um, uh, sevaks could not understand. He was bowing down to everybody. Bowing down to it was Guru Purnima. So they were coming to bow down to him. Long queues, you know, in Belurmat. They are coming to bow down to him and Mahapurush Maharaj is bending down like this and bowing down to everybody. And then the Sevak said, Maharaj, why are you doing this? You Don't do this. And they are coming to bow down to you. You just sit like that. And Mahapurush Maharaj said, but I see Brahman everywhere. When they come close to me, I vaguely see some form. But it is consciousness itself. You see, this whole mass of consciousness is here. I am bowing down to that. This is Brahma Drishti. Right where we are seeing the world, they are seeing Brahman. Name and form, the superimposition of Maya that has occurred is making us see this diversity. The essential thing is only Brahman. That is why Brahma Satyam Jagad Mithya. It is not a poetic statement. It is not a construct. It is the fact of life. Another incident, let me tell you, in Thakur's life, his mind perpetually dwelt in that state. Please see this. Not that uh, occasionally or uh, with great effort. He was always in that state. You remember that incident when uh, the doctor brought a microscope? Uh, Thakur expressed a, a childlike uh, interest in a microscope. And so Dr. Bipin Bihari Ghosh, I think, he brought a microscope just to show Thakur in his room. And he brought it from the uh, Kolkata Medical College and he placed it in front of Thakur. He adjusted it. A number of young disciples also were around. And then he invited uh, Thakur to come and see. And Thakur said, not now. Then after some time, he got up. And he, he took a few steps. He came there. He turned back and went back. He said, not now. Then he, the doctor asked, why? And Thakur said, you know, today my mind is not coming down. I, I will not be able to concentrate on an objective reality. What you are calling reality. I will not be able to bring my mind down to that. Today it is not coming down at all. And that, that day he could not see through the microscope at all. This was Thakur's state of mind. He used to say to utter Om, I have to come down a hundred steps. What is that state of mind? 
See, loving the man means loving that mind. And Thakur, uh, some, once somebody asked Thakur, what do you feel in Samadhi? And Thakur said, see, will you understand if I say, if a, if a fish confined to a pot was suddenly released into the waters of the Ganga, the Ganges, will you understand? Something like that you feel in Samadhi, a total liberation. So in Thakur's life, you find the best demonstration of the practical effect of Vedanta because the mind remained there. The mind was in that state constantly, perpetually. So many incidents are there. In fact, there are certain things which Thakur could not do because he was in that state of mind. You know, Thakur could not do subtraction. <laughs> it's something very interesting, right from childhood. See, see, the avatar's mind you can understand. Because what is subtraction or division? Removing something from the totality, isn't it? His mind could not do it. He's seeing something else. Once somebody uh, closed an umbrella in front of Thakur, you know, and he went into samadhi. Then when he came uh, out of that, uh, he was asked why he, how he went into samadhi. And he said, you know, withdraw that closing of the umbrella reminded me of withdrawing the powers of the mind suddenly and then one goes into the original state. In, Thakur hardly needed an excuse to go into samadhi. <laughs> All the time in that state, just looking at the pose of Krishna, he goes into samadhi. Hmm? Anything was enough, the slightest suggestion of divine things and he was in samadhi. So he shows us that Vedanta is the actual fact about life, human existence. If you don't uh, attach yourself to the reality of life, you will live in a self-created unreal world which you are calling practical. Most of it is self. You know, in Vedanta, there is a very important concept. There is an Ishwar Srishti, there is a Jiva Srishti. Ishwar Srishti is a reality spread out before you as it is. It is the consciousness which is shining in every human being. That is Brahman. You are not that body. You are the light shining in your eyes. It is the light of awareness. Swamiji used to say, we worship that God who by the ignorant is called man. No books, no scriptures, no science can ever imagine the glory of that God who is called man. That is Brahman shining through everybody. In the human mind, it is more perceptible. In the human personality, it is more perceptible because you have a mind which can touch that state. Consciousness reflects off a very pure mind and so it is palpable. You can know it. And if we can't see human beings as that and we want to see them as we want them to be, you are creating falsity and then trying to work your way out of it. And then saying Vedanta is a very strange philosophy and so little bit of this practice and this understanding must come into our lives. We come to the Vedanta Society of Greater Washington or whichever place. It means essentially we are Vedantins. We have this kind of a vision. We have caught the true spirit of Vedanta. And then we will work on it and see how it can come into our workaday life, in our everyday life. But you cannot be removed from the truth. Please see this. You live a false life if you do not acknowledge the truth. Vedanta is the very basis of Hinduism. Vedanta is the very heart of philosophy, Hindu philosophy. If that, you, you do not catch it, uh, the essential thing is missed. You know Thakur's famous example of that bale fruit? Hmm? There, at one point, he makes a very sharp observation. Uh, he has given that uh, example many times in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. And uh, at one point he says, you know, Brahman himself has become everything. And he himself manifests as this world of names and forms of manifestation. But if you want to know the essential thing, it, uh, then he says the bale fruit. I, I'll, let me give you this illustration, the bale fruit. If you want to know the essential part of the bale fruit, it is the flesh. But if you want to know the weight of the bale fruit, you have to take everything into consideration the crust, the flesh, the seeds, everything. But the essential thing is the flesh, he says. 
the essential thing about this world of manifestation is Brahman. If that is not understood, if that is not realized, essential point about life is gone. You have missed the point about human life. That is why Thakur says the only purpose of human life is the realization of God. Not bringing God down from anywhere. Realizing means he is already there. You realize it this moment. Realization means to know something which is already there. Brahman is always there. You mistook it for something else. Now we cleared our mind and we saw what is already there. Realization itself means this and this is the very purpose of human life, Thakur says. We have just five more minutes before we start the question answers. Let me just tell you another um, illustration of Thakur and we will uh, conclude with the talk. See, you may naturally ask, many people understand, yes, Brahma Satyam, no doubt, but Jagan Mithya is a bit of a problem, isn't it? Huh? So this problem, why is this world like this? Why this world of manifestation? Why at all? Practically, we put the question as, well, I see this world, my family is there, my relationships are there, my job is there. How do I see the same thing in everything? And then how will I, well, actually, how will I deal with them? How will I handle them? Will all this come to an end? This is the question which people ask many times. You see, why is the world there? If Brahman is the only reality, why is the world there? Why did he create this world at all? Once somebody put this question to Raman Maharshi, why is the world there? And then he said, uh, well, can you see your eyes? Can you see your eyes? You can see everything in this world but your eyes. You cannot see your eyes. What do you require to see your eyes? A mirror. A mirror can show you your eyes. So also, the world is the mirror where the eye sees itself. In the eyes of others, you should be able to see your awareness. You, not your awareness. That is the reality of life. The, the world is spread out before us so that you may recognize the same being in there, in all others. And that is why service, that is the purpose of this world of manifestation, to worship God in his manifold form. So if I cannot do that, and well, my policy is to run away from the world or to ignore it or to neglect it or to put it down or it is mithya, you, it won't work. The world is God. God pervades this entire world. Tat srishtva tadeva anupravishat is there in the Vedas. He pervades this entire thing. He is all that there is. You are seeing body and mind. That's your problem. So this unitary vision in some form must come into our lives. Thakur gives that beautiful example of Hari the lion. I'm sure you know the story. I won't go into the story. Yes, that, that lion cub which grew up with sheep and thought it was a sheep. Because it thought it was a sheep, it was behaving like a sheep. So what you think you are, you are, you are going to behave accordingly. So he was, uh, he absolutely assumed that he was a sheep because he was brought up by sheep, you know. And then one day another uh, lion saw him and he thought, what a disgrace to my family. Huh? This lion cub uh, uh, acting like a sheep, so I'll teach him a lesson. So uh, when the sheep were not around, he pounced upon the lion cub and dragged him to uh, uh, the forest and told him, you are not a sheep, you're a lion. How dare you behave like a sheep? And the, the lion said, no, I, have, I, have, I always thought I was a sheep. The problem is thinking. Please see this. I thought I was a sheep. I was never a sheep. But I thought I was a sheep. I thought I was just body and mind. This is the first thing we should understand. Please see this. First point that I should understand is I must change my ways of thinking. Coming to Thakur Ma Swamiji means this. A little identity crisis must come into our life. Who am I really? I am not going to assume things. And then he, he drags him. What does the bigger lion do? He drags the cub to a pond and shows him his face so that he understands superimposition. <laughs> How it has occurred, Adhyas. He shows him, see, you are a tiger, uh, you are a lion, you are not a sheep. Please, don't act like one. As soon as the lion cub sees that, 
ही एक्नॉलेजेस स्वस्वरूप दर्शन एनकाउंटरिंग द रियल आई विद इन यू दैट इज वॉट दे आर स्पीकिंग ऑफ सम आइडिया ऑफ हु आई एक्चुअली आई एम हाउ आई एम परसिविंग वर्ल्ड वॉट इज माई रिलेशनशिप विद दिस बॉडी एंड माइंड इट्स जस्ट एन इंस्ट्रूमेंट आई एम यूजिंग टू फंक्शन दिस वर्ल्ड विच हैज एज्यूम्ड इन्फिनिट प्रपोर्शन इन माई माइंड दैट्स द प्रॉब्लम सो दिस दिस अंडरस्टैंडिंग दैट सुपर इम्पोजिशन हैज अकर्ड आई थॉट आई वॉज अ शीप बट नो आई एम अंडरस्टैंडिंग दिस एंड देन फाइनली वॉट डज द बिग लाइन डू Yes, he he gets a piece of meat from somewhere and puts it into his mouth and says, "Taste this. You have been eating grass." Thakur says, "Eating grass is just chasing lust and lucre." And eating that bit of meat gave him the strength of you know blood, and he roared like a lion. So, getting a taste for spiritual practice. vedant vichar existential enquiry will give you a taste of your real being that is the purpose of this story three things identity crisis first you must genuinely enquire then vedant starts originally by yourself and is not a belief system please see this second is swaswarupa darshan understanding superimposition how how this how i'm functioning through this and identifying it's a very silly thing that we are doing and a taste for spiritual practice which will actually condition you into this kind of thinking this kind of experience this so don't ask me how do i get there all these procedures get you there the you simply understand you are a lion that's all there is no particular way in which you understand you know how do you perceive a joke you just understand at that point there's no particular procedure which will take you there you just know so also you just know at a certain point if you have followed the proper pr- procedure and that is how vedanta comes into our lives prakriyas are central even to vedanta what all we have been discussing is like is like a prakriya it's a method these are the methods clarity of thinking is to be brought about and clear reflective processes morning evening during your meditative practices and a certain amount of calmness meditation bring it into our life part of our life and understanding them as they are not as we want them to be hmm? many times you see when you are unhappy you want god to grant you happiness when you feel unloved you want love if i am content in myself i will know him as he is he will give me reality as it is and that is vedant not due to any lack on my part so you are perceiving truth reality and thakur as he is so with this uh, let me conclude the talk may thakur our devotion to thakur bring this knowledge into our lives this is my prayer at his feet now we will start the question answer session yes 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 that's beautiful yeah many times thakur has said that brahman and shakti are one shakti in your life in your life what does it mean tell me now don't tell me mother durga is shakti in your life how do you perceive shakti vedanta is to be applied to oneself what is shakti in your life energy manifestation yes now what thakur is saying is the manifestation of life and the actual principle of life are one and the same consciousness and life are not two different things please see this life is consciousness that is why some knowledge of what consciousness means will only augment life the life process more vitality will bring into our being intellect will become brighter senses will become brighter your experience of life will be wholesome complete full it is not about running away onto somewhere or from life so brahman and shakti abhed thakur always says but you must awaken the divinity within that's the essential point if that is done you understand life as it is it is beautiful
Yes. 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 Mm. Yes, it's a very good question. How do we actually tackle the neg negativities of life if everything is Brahman? See, the point is, qualities, whether goodness or badness or uh, kindness or lack of kindness, all of these are occurring in the mind. Please see this. They are part and parcel of the human mind, mental process. Now, is the mind the man? After discussing Vedanta for so long, <laughs> tell me, <laughs> is the mind the man? No. There's something more fundamental to the mind. You know, if you study mind itself, the yogic sciences itself, you will see mind is mind because there's a foundation of awareness. If you bring the awareness to the forefront through spiritual practice, the pure mind leads to the pure Atman. This is the equation Thakur gave us, isn't it? So the mind of a man can become impure. And that is why these negativities can come into the mind. But I need not equate him with that from my standpoint, isn't it? I must have a deeper vision. Like when our children commit some wrong, are we going to say, you are like this? This is your nature? We know it's a passing phase. It's so with every man, every human being. He passes through different facets of life. Temporarily, he is identified with it. It is never his nature. So Gandhiji used to say this, hate sin, not the sinner. Only a Vedantin can do this because he has perceived something more than the mind. Yes? Yes? Yeah, yeah. Yes. You see, the path of bhakti is more easier because, tell me frankly, are we more intellectual or more emotional? More emotional. Usually, the human mind is more emotional by nature. So that is the path the mind will naturally take. So if you have already taken that path, many of you I know are initiated, so follow that path. But that Thakur himself says, Advaita Jnana Anchale Bende Jak so some understanding of this background reality should be there. It may not be my path, but I should know something about it because that is the state of the being you are worshipping. That is his natural, normal state. So an understanding of Advaita is important. But you must follow the path which appeals to you. As she said, Sharanagati, Bhakti. That is the natural path because we are emotional beings. And emotion is dominant in our mind, in many minds, you know. Clarity of thought process may not be there, but emotion is very dominant. So then take up the path which appeals to you. What instantly appeals to you and what you can consistently do is your path. And do it. Yes. Yes. But we are human beings. The moment we step out, right, we are in the, okay, where do we go for lunch? What do we do? We are involved in all sorts of what we do. We are human beings. We have a life, we have a family, we have our own duties to perform. Yes. For example, in my daily life, in the morning, I just take about three to four minutes for my prayers. But even in those three to four minutes, my mind is wandering. I'm getting late for work. 
Yeah, this is a, the common question, actually. Uh, the thing is this, you see, the purpose of all these talks and these discussions and coming to the center and all this is, now you heard it, it leaves an impact on your mind. It leaves a sanskar. A long time of not getting into touch with these things, the sanskar still remains. So it will it will help you. It will just click in the mind at some point of time. But if you want it to become part and parcel of your life, every all the time, then you must invest time and energy into it. Consciously, it, you must prioritize it in your life. Everything depends on this prioritization. You see, he is a spiritual aspirant who has made spiritual life his priority. Otherwise, it's uh, just a, a, a supplement to my <laughs> a kind of... Uh, occasionally, I'm a bit curious. You know, so recently somebody was asking me, well, I, try, I have tried so much, but I have not reached that that level of yearning required for God realization. So I put it in very plain language. I told that person, please find out if you are wanting to want, do you want God or you are wanting to want? There are two different things. Most of us are wanting to want because we are fed up with the world. We know what, what it can give at the most. So we are a, a little, and then again the, those sanskars are there, so we are going back. All this we are trying. But the want itself is a totally different thing. If the want enters into our life, nothing else will matter. Nothing else will matter. That, that this, that's what I'm calling prioritization. You will give most importance to spiritual practice because I want to feel the truth of this. That you can feel the truth of it only through spiritual practice. Please see this. We are using vichar as a tool, but it will usher you into a state of being, a very transcendental state of being. So it is possible if you commit your time and energy to it. That's the essential thing. Not that it stays impractical otherwise. It's not that. You see, reality is never impractical. Our mind will keep busy with many things. That's all. That is what will happen. One day again, like a bang, it hits you. You feel, I should be doing this. What am I doing? And then the process continues until these sanskars increase and dominate your life. And at some point, you really feel the need for God and the experience of God. And then you go forward in spiritual life. It's like that. Yes? Yes. <laughs> Why? See, mother gives the explanation to that. It's there in mother's literature. She says he did not come to break down anything. In those days, they, they had fixed days to do fixed things, you know, auspicious moments. Even now in India, they do all that. So he kept to that. Uh, you see, a person like Sri Ramakrishna is free to do anything, isn't it? But he kept to it. He kept to the local customs and traditions and everything and moved that way. He preferred to do that in this incarnation. Yes. <laughs> yes, you see, it's not possible to follow it all the time. Even in our case, it's like that. Many times you can't follow certain things. What, what we, you can do is take the spirit of the thing, that is all. If you can't keep uh, your commitments for spiritual practice on a particular day, then uh, you do what is required, the minimal that is required, and then make up for it later. Something like this you can follow. Yes. The essential thing is to fast the mind. <laughs> doesn't matter if you don't fast the body, unless you want to lose weight. You must, uh, the, the essential thing is to control the thought process. All sadhana is meant for that. Because if the mind is purified, you get the goal. Everything is meant for that. All these, uh, as he was saying, 
whether I follow some particular ritual or not, I do some particular thing or not, what is its ultimate purpose? It was to condition my mind in a particular way. So I can uh, use other means to condition it also. The essential thing is to get this clarity of the thought process, to purify the mind, to get his bhav in your mind, then you will understand him. That's the essential thing to do. Yes. See, that is true. Mind, she asked the question on Shakti. Mind is all powerful. Mm. Mind is very powerful. To bring that mind to the feet of God, it requires the power of God. So it is only grace that clears the way. You can beg at the most, beg for that grace. But don't think we can do it by ourselves. Even this Vedanta Charcha that we are, you know, Madhusudan Saraswati, the great exponent, he's written Advaita Siddhi, great exponent of Advaita Vedanta. He says in one of his works, Ishwara Anugraha Deva Pumsan Advaita Vasana. The, this feeling for Advaita, the, the intuition about the truth, oneness of all creation itself comes by the grace of God. Advaita Vasana itself is, uh, comes as through God's grace. So the point is this. God's, Thakur gives us one uh, exceptional uh, utterance, but which is very beautiful. He says, grace is always there. You set forth your sail. Which means what the whole problem is with our minds. Mind is untrained. And mind is unwilling. Wanting to want, that's what we are doing. Hmm? So we have not come to that point where spiritual realization becomes uh, obvious thing. The, the, what we can do in this status, uh, Thakur himself demonstrates, demonstrates, you pray intensely. If you pray intensely for grace, grace will simply descend upon you. Because prayer is something, you cannot hoodwink yourself in prayer. You can do it in thinking, not in prayer. You are asking God for something. You will be absolutely sincere. The auto-suggestion will, will be very powerful. So it's a direct path to God, prayer. In fact, we may talk of Advaita Vedanta, we use all paths in our lives. We use bhakti, we use prayer, we do worship, we do a lot of karma yoga, everything. Vivekananda recommended this, putting everything into practice. Yes, please. Yeah, can we make a harmony between physics and physical sciences and Vedanta? Harmony already exists. We must learn to perceive it, that's all. Uh, I will, uh, uh, maybe after this uh, thing, we will. Uh, you can just meet me for a few minutes because I will tell you where we have, uh, I work in IIT Delhi. There many times we have come to this. And uh, a lot of harmony already exists. Unless you are very rigid or dogmatic about something, then you will not see the harmony. The Mundaka Upanishad says, Brahma Vidya Sarva Vidya Pratishtham. This Brahma Vidya is a support, is a basis of all other knowledge. Because who is perceiving? You, you, how can you study an object without knowledge of the subject? Tell me. How you function, how you work, how you are seeing, how you are perceiving, what are the factors involved without knowing that how do you know the truth of the objective knowledge? The two are not two different sciences. Please see this. Any perception is in your awareness. So you can find a harmony between the two. For that we need a very scientific analytical mind which is conditioned in Vedanta. And we are trying to do it in the IITs and it's working. <laughs> so you can meet me after this and I'll give you the links. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 See, 
this what we are calling the self the atman is brahman atman and brahman are not two different you know that the the mahavakyas that's the equation they give the equation between atman and brahman atman is brahman because i am talking of it from the standpoint of the mind i am just now in the mind at the mental level so i am perceiving two things god is brahman pardon there is only god exactly there is only god god is pure consciousness in vedant advait vedant you may have him as other beings but essentially see their perception of themselves then you will know what he is how was their perception of themselves <laughs> yes you see that awareness has to be first encountered in your system to understand what cosmic consciousness means and that is why they use the term atman and brahman but when you reach it there's only one reality reality is only one it appears as many it's like that essential thing is you see you must begin from the beginning start from where you are follow the procedure follow the prakriyas and you will come to a point when it it just flashes that this can be the only reality if your mind is trained properly even logically you will arrive at reality that's all you you arrive not that you create the reality reality was always as it was that's what happens so it's a process of mind cleansing actually hmm? thakur says this in gospel repeatedly huh? he gives the equation pure mind is equal to pure buddhi is equal to pure atman somebody asked him what is realization take bodhe bodh kara he said so it's very clear the path now we must do something about it that's the thing one of the best demonstrations of uh, vedant which we have been discussing is that boatman incident in thakur's life you remember a, a boatman slapped another boatman on the ganga and thakur at that point was in samadhi identified with all of creation so he felt the slap on his face on his back he felt the slap on his back and they saw that really like a red imprint had fallen on the back unity of all existence it sort of translated like this in thakur's life so many such incidents are there in thakur's life so the one of some of the best demonstrations of vedanta is only when you go and see their lives the nature of the mind was like that constantly so shall we stop here time is up <laughs> we'll end the session om shanti 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 shri ram krishna arpanamastu